We are opening up this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to finish 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talking about how Paul is encouraging the church, how Paul is exhorting the church of Corinth. And the title of today's message is The Glory of the New Covenant. In the first six verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul has already addressed that his adequacy, his sufficiency is from God. You see, they were challenging Paul, and they're saying, Paul, are you really an apostle? Do you really have the credentials? Are you really qualified to serve, to preach, to teach, to come out to the Corinthian church and to exhort? Do you really have all of that? And Paul is saying, I absolutely do, and I don't need a letter of recommendation. I don't need a certificate. I don't need any of these things that that would qualify someone because you are my letter of recommendation, and my sufficiency is from God. What is he teaching us there, Paul? That everything that God has called you to do, everything that God has called you to do, He will also equip you for. Sometimes we think, well, Lord, I'm not equipped to do this, that you've called me to everything that God has called you to do, He will also equip you to do as well. Whether it's a, a, a job at work, a career, a promotion, something at home, being a wife, being a mother, a husband, a father, whatever it would be, God, if He called you to that, He will also equip you for that. And he's saying, do not look at your inadequacy, but look at your sufficiency. Don't look at my inadequacy. Don't look at my inexperience. He's saying, don't look at what I do have or or what I do not have. But I'm looking at my sufficiency because my sufficiency is from God. There's a problem where we think we're self-sufficient. We're trusting other people. We're trusting methods. We're trusting resources. Uh, Resources and methods and money and all that is good. But God uses people and our sufficiency is from God. Our qualifications come first from God. And he's going to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6. That God has made him sufficient. God has enabled him. God has qualified him. To be a servant or a minister of the new covenant. Just like God placed him there to be a minister of the new covenant. He has placed you to minister, to serve. And your sufficiency comes from God. It doesn't come anywhere else. It doesn't come from your experience. It doesn't come from what people think about you. What people say about you. What what their opinions are. You know what gets us in trouble? The opinions of people. We start to think about what people think instead of what God has said from His Word. Your sufficiency is from God. Now, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us this. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You for the new covenant. We ask, sir, that you would show us what the new covenant looks like, what the new covenant means. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would continuously, Lord, lead us to look to you, that we would have a clear vision of Jesus. And we pray this all in your name, in Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. Amen. Now he says, the Lord's made me a minister of the new covenant, something new. Notice that. It is new. It's not the old covenant. It's the new covenant. Well, what's the old covenant that we would know? The Old Covenant is the covenant from the Old Testament. It's the covenant of the Ten Commandments. 
It's the covenant of trying to get right with God through rules or regulations, of becoming right with God through our works or becoming right with God through our efforts. That's the old covenant. That's the difference between religion and relationship. Relationship is not based off of your work. Relationship is based off the finished work of Jesus. We mentioned it last week. A lot of people say, you know, well, Christianity and Catholicism and, and Buddhism and all these relations, religions are all the same thing. And, and, and they're not. I'll tell you that. They're not because everything else is about what you do to be right with God versus what God did so that you can be already right with Him. It's grace. It's not the old covenant. It's not the legalism of the law. It's not trying to say I want to be perfect by these Ten Commandments and these do's and don'ts and my works and my efforts and what I have to do, how many prayers I have to do and what person makes you right with God. That is not what makes you right with God. They're saying He's made us now ministers of the new covenant. What is the new covenant? The new covenant is the finished work of Jesus going to the cross and saying I am making you right with God. The Father, by dying on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And it is my grace, it is my blood, it is the forgiveness of the cross that makes you right with God. That is the new covenant. It's not based off of rules and regulations. And now from verse 7 to verse 18, he's talking to us about the resources found in that new covenant. Did you know that because Jesus died on the cross, there are resources available to you? You have resources available to you found in Jesus Christ in the new covenant that you did not have in the old covenant. And he wants to explain, we have a better way now to become right with God. There are resources available. And these resources are available for every pressure that comes your way in life. Maybe you're experiencing some type of pressure right now in life. And you ask yourself, what is it? How is it that I'm going to get through this pressure? Well, Paul here goes and tells the church of Corinth, for every pressure in life that you're going through, there is a resource available through the new covenant. You know what resources you have through the new covenant? You have the resource of grace, number one. You don't have to be perfect because of the grace of God covers you and makes you right with God. That's the number one resource that you have in the new covenant, grace. Another resource you have in the new covenant is holiness. Because of the new covenant, because Jesus died on the cross for your sins, now you can live a holy life. But also because Jesus died on the cross and forgave us of our sins, now you can have victory over those areas of your life that you used to be in bondage of or of addiction of. That thing that you couldn't overcome, that sin, that vice, that addiction that held you back for so long because of the cross and the new covenant, God gives you victory over that. Sometimes people say, well, I'm never going to change. That person is never going to change. You know, I, I'm never going to overcome that in my life. Because Jesus went to the cross. He made victory available to you now over that. Amen. He made victory available over that. And now he's going to tell us how this covenant is better than the old one. I want you to know this is better than the old one. Why is it better? Paul tells us because it changes your life. Because it transforms you. The new covenant, what it does, it, it makes you more like Jesus. The old covenant could not make you more like Jesus. But the new covenant does because it gives you access into His presence. And when you have access into the presence of Christ, you are transformed to be better and more like Him. It's a new covenant based off of 
new promises and better promises that come from God toward you. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, it tells us this. But now Jesus, our high priest, has given us a ministry that is far superior, it tells us, to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. It's a better covenant based on better promises. You see, back in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, there was a priest that had to go before God once a year in the presence of God. And he would pray for the sins of the nation. And he would say, you know what, Lord, make them right with God. But God tells us through the New Testament and through Hebrews that that high priest, the only priest that we need now is Jesus. You think that you don't need to go to anyone anymore to receive forgiveness? Your only high priest is Christ. And He's made a way. He's the only mediator. He's the one that's standing before you and the Father to make things right between you and the Father. That is a better way to come to the Lord now. Now He's going to give us a contrast between the Old and the New Covenant. And what separates the two, pointing us always to Jesus. You see what the New Covenant points us to? Christ. The Old Covenant points us to our faults, our condemnation, our sin, our guilt, our shame. But now this new covenant through the grace of God points us directly to Christ. Let's read verse 7. It says this, But if the ministry of death, referring to the old covenant, written and engraved on stones, the Ten Commandments, was glorious, it had a lot of glory, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Now, with this old covenant had glory, understand that the new covenant is more glorious. If this way had glory to you, it, it was appealing, you see the glory of God in it. Well, the new way is more glorious. It's far beyond the glory that the old covenant had. You think about yourself before when you thought you had a relationship with God and you went through these rules and regulations and going through the motions and, and you meant, well, I think that I'm right with God. I pray every night. I'm a good person. But then you notice after you found out the grace of God, how much more glorious, how much more personal, how you can see the Lord and have a personal relationship with Him now. Now He's talking to us about the Ten Commandments and referring to the Ten Commandments as the Old Covenant. Verse 7, it says, but if the ministry of death, why is the old commandments the ministry of death or the old way or the ministry that led to death? Because the Ten Commandments could not save you. The Ten Commandments could not provide salvation for you. The Ten Commandments could not provide forgiveness for you. What the Ten Commandments did, written on stone, it was, that it was good for direction, it was good for conviction, but it was never there to meet the need of forgiveness and of salvation. It could not do that to you. It was only showing you that, that look at these Ten Commandments that God has given you to expose the nature of our sin. Do you see that when you read the Ten Commandments, you can go one by one, every single one. Number one, guilty. Number two, guilty. And we're, we're guilty of the Ten Commandments. They could not save you. And, and if we thought there was glory in having a relationship with God through them, know this, there is a better way now. We don't have to go about that way because it says here, engraved on stones was glorious. Why was it glorious? Why, why was the Ten Commandments glorious? We're going to see here. It was glorious because the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which was the glory passing away. 
Now Moses, when he would come down from the mountain in Exodus chapter 34, tells us that he came down from the mountain with those two tablets of stone. We've seen it in pictures and in movies. And as they came down from the t- with the tablets of stone, the Bible tells us they had covered his face with a veil. Because his face was reflecting the glory of God. But Paul tells us that glory that was reflecting, that we thought it was so awesome during that old covenant, that, that glory that was reflecting now in Moses' face, it was fading away. It wasn't even as strong as you ever thought it was. And, and you, you see how, it, how he's telling them that, that, that Shekinah glory as we know it. Shekinah means the glory of God. It, it was in his countenance. It was shining. The brightness as he was coming down from the mountain was actually fading away. And, and you couldn't even look at fading glory. You think about how they were so impressed with something that was fading away. Have you ever been impressed with something that is just fading away? That doesn't really meet the need? The nation of Israel was so impressed they could not look at the face of Moses even though the glory was fading away. Well, how did he get that reflection? Well, Moses got that reflection from spending time in the presence of God. And and the glory in the Old Covenant was shining through now the face of Moses. It was fading now, but the glory of the New Covenant does not fade away. There's no fading glory. It is without fading, he was going to tell us. You see, the Old Covenant, the Old uh, Testament, the, the, the Ten Commandments tells us that we are guilty as sinners. And it slays us and it leads us to death. But the New Covenant, guess what it does? It resurrects us in the grace and the love and the finished work of Jesus Christ through the cross. Verse 8, let's read. How will this ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? If that was fading away, let me tell you about something that is not fading away. Verse 8. For if the ministry of condemnation, if the Ten Commandments only made you feel condemned, if that covenant only made you feel guilty, and it only made you know that you were a sinner, that you needed a Savior, if that had glory... Now think about the ministry of righteousness that exceeds much more in glory. Now if that in the past you thought was making you right with God, that you thought it made you okay with God, you thought there was some glory involved when it was fading away from Moses as he was walking down from the mountain. If that, that provided glory also provided condemnation. Think about that which now provides righteousness. How much much glory can that provide for you now? If in the old it was condemnation with glory. Now think about what would happen if we had glory with righteousness. Because now it makes you right with God, the new covenant. The old covenant could not make you right with God. The old provided condemnation and glory. How much more glory will the new have that makes you right with God if it also provides righteousness? What is righteousness, you would ask yourself? Righteousness is saying that it makes you right with God. It starts the process of sanctification. It starts the process of you justified, of you being forgiven. It's the new covenant. It's, it points you to Jesus. It says you are no longer guilty. You are no longer condemned. You no longer should be ashamed. That is the new covenant. And now the process of sanctification begins. Why? What's the process of sanctification? The process of sanctification is the process of you becoming holy every single day. Now verse 10. Let's co- he continues to compare them. For even when what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory 
that excels. Verse 10, he says, the old covenant really had no glory in comparison to the overwhelming glory of the new way when you come directly to Jesus. There is nothing more that will suffice you in life. There is nothing more that will bring you closer to God than you coming directly to Jesus. You don't have to go anywhere else. You might think you have to go somewhere else to have a relationship with God, but that doesn't give you and make you right with God. The new covenant through the finished work of Jesus Christ excels and gives you more glory than you ever thought. To experience the glory of God. And and he goes on and he tells us this in verse 11. For if what was passing away, that that glory that was passing away from Moses' face was glorious. If you thought that was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. You see what he's telling us? What remains is much more glorious. If you thought that was glorious, the glory that remains that doesn't fade away is much more glorious. I've talked to people, you know, throughout just evangelizing, sharing the work of, of the Lord and the faith. And sometimes you have done as well. And, and you, you quickly find out that, that, that they say, you know, well, I'm not going to come to Jesus because I'm going to believe in God my way. Because this is the way that, that my parents believed and their parents believed. And this is the way that I was raised. And this is the way that I, I, I'm going to live my life. And we are stuck thinking in an old way that these Jewish people were so traditionalist in this way instead of realizing that there is actually a new way, a better way that gets you closer to Jesus. That makes you right with God. You see, because this old way could never make you right with God. But now he's explaining in verse 11 that what remains is much more glorious. This is better. Why is he telling them that? Because the Jewish people did not want to accept the grace that came through Jesus. And they started to become a little legalistic. They started saying, you know, you have to uh, fulfill this law and this regulation. And and, and in culture, you have to do this thing. You have to look this way. And these do's and don'ts. And he's saying, no, it's not about that. Let's point people to the new covenant. And that is Jesus. Now in verse 12, he tells us, therefore, because of the new covenant, because the new covenant brings much more glory, therefore... Since we have such hope, the old covenant didn't give you hope. The old covenant just reminded you, you're a sinner. (laughs) But when you look to the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the cross of Jesus Christ, it provides you hope. See, since we have this hope, we use great boldness of speech. Now, what does it tell us that, that we're using great boldness of speech? Because we have this, we can be confident, we can have courage, We can have new character. We can have freedom now when it comes to our speech. When we talk about this, we don't have to be fearful or reluctant. You see, because of this, we can have boldness of speech. Do we have confidence that we can be so bold in the presence of God and spending time in His presence? There is boldness in coming into the presence of God. Did you know that? That's where you receive the boldness from. That's where you receive courage. That's where you get confidence in the boldness, in the presence of God, from spending time in His presence. He's saying now, because of this, you are open and you are bold to this new character, to this new covenant, because the old covenant restricted you. The old covenant separated you. It didn't give you a right to go into the presence of God, and you were not bold to go in there. You cannot speak boldly. You were not bold to go in there. But now this new covenant brings you to God and enables us to become bold in front of Him and to Him and about Him. You see, I've noticed that the people that are most bold when it comes to their speech are the ones that are most spending time in the presence of God. You want the Lord to give you boldness? Then spend time in His presence. 
A lot of times we say, Lord, well, I want you to give me boldness. I, I want to speak more about you. I want to take steps of faith. I want to be bold when it comes to my faith. Well, what makes you bold is you spending time in the presence of God. But what kind of boldness does he give you? Hebrews 4.16 tells us this. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know how you receive boldness? By coming to him. There you can be bold. There he gives you access to receive grace, to receive mercy, to receive help in time of need. I don't know about you, but maybe you're coming in a time of need. Well, maybe you have a specific need. Maybe you, have, you need help. Well, you need help. You have a specific need. The new covenant says, come boldly. If there is a time of need and if you need help, the new covenant gives you the access to come boldly to the Lord. You see now in Ephesians 6.19, Paul talks and he asks for boldness as well. And he knows that he can speak boldly the truth because of Jesus. In Ephesians 6, 19, he says, And for me, that utterance, pray for me, may be given to me, that I may open my mouth. Here he goes, boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. You know what is needed? Because if we have this hope, we should be bold. What are you doing with the hope that you have? It's sad to see that the world and our culture speaks, and they're so bold about their values and morals and what they believe in, but the church cannot be bold at what we believe in and what we stand on. Because of the hope that you have, you can be bold. In Acts chapter 4.13, they looked at the disciples and the apostles and they said, we cannot believe that these guys are talking this way. They saw that they were regular, untrained men. It tells us this, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and of John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled, they could not believe it. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. What makes you bold? spending time with Jesus. We can be bold. We don't have to cover, you know, uh, ourselves like, like Moses did with the veil because the glory is fading away. We're confident in the presence of God because the glory never fades away. Because there's no separation. Because, but because nothing now stands in the way of us in the presence of God. You can be bold. When can you be bold? When nothing stands in the way of you and the presence of God. That's when you can be bold. Now verse 13 tells us this, Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. You don't have to be like Moses. What did Moses have to do? He had to cover his face so people didn't see the glory that was fading away. You don't have to do that. You can be bold. You can step into the presence of God. You can live a life that is bold because the glory is not fading away. And it tells us this, but their minds... Here in verse 14, we're blinded for until this day, then and now still, the reminds are blinded, it tells us here. The same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Now, what, what kind of veil is he talking about now? They have a veil, he's saying in verse 14, the Jewish nation that are so stuck to the Old Testament, the old commandments, they have a veil that remains, that is unlifted in their minds and in their hearts. What kind of veil is it? It covers their mind to refuse Christ. It covers their mind, this veil, and their mind is hardened. They're blinded even today. He's saying, back then they were blinded. Today they're blinded now. It's a different veil. It's a veil that's covering their mind. They're, they're still hard to the truth and they're, they're still, still stuck in their old ways. And they reject the new covenant, the new covenant that comes in Christ. 
Now it tells us here that veil, because the veil is taken away in Christ. You know how someone that veil is taken away out of their mind so they can come to Jesus Christ? It's taken away in Christ. And that's why we have to pray. Lord, we pray for that person. We pray for that loved one. That is so stuck in believing in the Lord in that direction so that that veil would be taken away from their mind. And the only way that veil can be taken away from their mind is that they turn and have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because just like the new Jewish nation back then had a separation, something that was separating some through tradition, through believing in this old covenant, have put a veil over their minds that separates them from coming to Jesus Christ and having faith in the finished work of Jesus. And unless the work of God does it, He does a work in their life, unless He takes the veil from them, they're never going to turn to the truth of the surpassing glory that you actually find in Jesus Christ because they have a veil still. And this is the way that I'm going to do it. But they have a veil that is still in their mind. Verse 15, it says, But even to this day, when Moses read, a veil lies on their heart. Back then, a veil was on their mind. And even to this day, a veil is on their hearts. We have to ask the Lord, Lord, remove that veil. Because they don't understand. Their hearts are covered. They do not understand. And until they, they will not understand until they turn to the Lord and say, My faith is in Jesus. And you know when that veil is taken away? That veil is taken away in the presence of God. When you say, Lord, take that away from me. I want there to be no barriers, no separations. Because I want to be free to have a relationship, a personal relationship with you. What did Moses do when he went up to that mountain? He didn't have no veil. There was no veil. There was no separation. There was nothing that separated him from God. It was personal. It was Moses and the Father now. And this is exactly what he's telling us. There is a new covenant. And we have to say, Lord, remove that veil from our mind. Remove the veil from our heart because we want to see your glory. I want to even ask you today, what is standing in the way between you and the presence of God today? Is it you being stuck in an old way? Is it some, something in your life that doesn't let you get closer to God? What is it that is standing in the way of you and God? Because Jesus made it all accessible for us to step into His presence. And sometimes we cover ourselves with a veil. We're separated. We're separated in our mind. We're separated in our heart. We don't have to have this, this real relationship with the Lord. And in verse 17, it tells us this. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, what does he mean by this? We, we read this verse a lot. We quote it. This is a very well-known verse. That the Lord is spirit means the Lord is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God himself. The Holy Spirit gives life. But where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't, there's not legalism. It's not the law. It's not rules. It's not tradition. It's not religion. There is liberty now. There is grace. There is life through the Holy Spirit. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, where the Holy Spirit is, there is liberty from what? The New Covenant gives you liberty from what? Ask yourself, liberty from what though? We like to ask ourselves, there's liberty. We have freedom. Liberty from what? Today I wanted you to know that you have liberty from sin. You have liberty from death that had a hold on our lives. We had liberty from condemnation now. We have liberty from addiction. We have liberty from the law. We have liberty from legalism. We have liberty from tradition. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You see what the new covenant does for you? It gives you liberty from that, which used to tie you down. Sometimes we think, you know, I'm, never, I'm always going to be stuck in this way. No, the Spirit of the Lord is, the Holy Spirit gives you liberty. It gives you freedom now. 
But not only does he talk about liberty from sin and from death and from condemnation and from shame that the old covenant did for you, the, 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 the liberty that he talks about, he's also talking about access. Have you ever had access somewhere and you feel so privileged? Like maybe you go to a concert or maybe you go somewhere and they give you a badge or a wristband and, and, and you're walking in through those, you feel so confident. You see that person standing at the door, but you cannot wait to just show them your badge, your ticket. I, I, I am confident that I have access into that place. And you're walking in there with so much, you're not scared. Oh man, they're going to catch me. They're going to kick me out. I'm not going to be allowed in that room or in that place. No, you have access there. You have that VIP pass, maybe that wristband, whatever it would be. You have total access. Well, you know what the liberty is talking about? You have boldness, you have confidence, but the liberty he's talking about is also access. Access that is tied to boldness that belongs to that liberty to go into the presence of God because of the grace of God, because of that finished work of Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is access into His presence. Isn't that amazing that that's what you and me get? That we get to go boldly into the presence of the Lord. But not only that, we have the liberty also to stay away from sin. I want you to know that. You have liberty to stay away from sin. That is the liberty that we have from the Word of God, that we can stay away from sin because the Holy Spirit lives in us and gives us the power now to say no to the temptations that we used to be in bondage of. It's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we say, Lord, there's no way that I can overcome this. Ask the Holy Spirit, give me a heart to overcome this temptation, overcome this addiction, overcome this thing that's going on in my life. Because that's where you went to the cross to die for my sins. Because of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.1 tells us this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which Christ has made you free. He made you free. You're not a slave to that anymore. You're not a slave to, 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 to that, that pattern, that trend that maybe your, flat, your family was going through. That's just because my parents and their parents and they went through all this that I'm going to go out through this. You are not a slave to that pattern and to that trend. There's liberty in the Holy Spirit. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which Christ had made you free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You know what the problem is? That the Lord makes us free. And then we go and we become entangled. Have you ever been entangled with something that it's so, you're struggling to get out of it? And the Lord said, I've already freed you from that. Stop making yourself tangled up already on there. And you come to the Lord again and the Lord makes you free through His grace. But you go and you get entangled again. To bondage, to the yoke that you're under the, submission, under the power of that vice. God has not made you free so that you can go and be under the yoke of bondage any longer. It is almost like a slave that's saying, you know, the, 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 the master has made me free. And you're saying, I want to go back into that slavery again. Slavery to sin. Why would you go and tangle yourself again? In Galatians 5.13, 5, 5, 5, 1, it tells us this. And then later in 5.13, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. But do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. God has given you liberty not to sin, but God has given you the liberty to obey don't become entangled. With the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty, there is access. But also, God has called you to liberty, not to use your liberty as an opportunity to say, to do what I want, and license for whatever I want to do. God has given you a liberty so that you can go and serve Him with all your heart. But I'll tell you this, liberty to also be filled with the presence of God. 
And I, I, was, I was reading this week and I was so ministered because the Lord spoke to me and He said, you know what? Christians, my, my people, my disciples, the church, they're not called simply to be filled with good information. They're called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're called to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the presence of God. And now in verse 18, he tells us all of this for three simple words that are so amazing. And I'm going to give you those because we're going to finish here in verse 18 18 of chapter 3. But he tells us the word behold, the word reflect, and the word transform. He says all of this just to get to one verse that the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. And then he tells us, I want you to behold, I want you to reflect, and I want you to be transformed. The whole point of the new covenant is so that you can behold. So you can have liberty, access, boldness. Come on in to the presence of God. There's nothing stopping you. There's no excuses. There's nothing standing in the way. And in verse 18 it tells us, but we all with an unveiled face. God has taken that veil from your face. God is taking that veil, that separation. There is nothing standing in the way between you and God. You know the only thing that actually stands in the way between you and God is unconfessed sin. It's when you say, I'm good, I don't need God. It's when you say, I don't want to repent. I don't need forgiveness. Now here in verse 18, it tells us, but we are with an unveiled face. What are we doing? There's nothing standing. There's no separation. There's nothing that you say, well, that obstructs my view of Jesus. There's nothing now. That obstructs my view of God. Well, I can't get close to God because of that, or this, or, or a denomination, or a church, or a family, or traditional rules or laws. None of that stands in the way now. With an unveiled face. So I, lo- I love, there's no hindrance now. Jesus made a way so that it's going to be so personal your relationship with God, there would be nothing standing in the way here, it says, with an unveiled face, beholding. I want you to underline the word beholding. That is our number one word here. Number one, beholding. Beholding talks about looking. But it's not only looking, it's learning carefully, studying, beholding now. I want to behold now the presence of God. I want to behold now the Lord. I don't want to just look. I want to behold, learn, study carefully. Take my time. That's how you behold. You want to know how you behold? By spending time in the Word of God. By spending time in prayer. By spending time in worship. You are beholding the presence of God. When was the last time you said, I just want to behold The presence of God. Because the more we spend time beholding the presence of God, the last time we'll spend beholding now the world. We're beholding the world. We're carefully studying the world. And guess what we do? When we behold the world, we become like the world. But when we behold the presence of God, we are transformed. And now it tells us here, we want to behold, as in what? And you're going to love this one, some of you here. As in a mirror. Oh, how, how long have you stayed? I mean, how long did, did we stand in front of the mirror today before we, got, we came to church, right? Well, man, we, we beheld ourselves for a minute there. And we were standing there carefully. You didn't just go, I, I promise you, you didn't just walk by the mirror. I'm good and I'm going to church. When you behold, you study carefully. You want to make sure you pay attention to details. You're carefully studying. And what is that mirror doing? It's giving you a reflection of you. Uh, the mirror is used to give you a reflection of you. Now when you behold, guess what? The second word is reflect. 
You are that mirror now. When you're beholding, you are that mirror now standing in the presence of God. And guess what you get to do as that mirror? You get to reflect the presence of God. Behold, so that you can reflect the presence of God. But reflecting only happens when you're beholding. You know why sometimes we don't reflect the presence of God? Because we're not beholding His presence. You want to reflect the presence of God? We must be beholding the presence of God. You have to behold. You see, it's almost like the moon. The moon doesn't have its own light. What does the moon do? What kind of light do you see in the moon? The moon's light is only a reflection of the sun. We ought to be like the moon. (laughs) That is reflecting the light from the presence of God that doesn't fade away. That you position yourself in a place like, I just want to be in the presence of the Father as in a mirror reflecting the glory of God. I want to behold. I'm going in His Word today to behold so that I can reflect the light in the presence of God. I'm going into worship today so that I can reflect the presence of God. I'm going into now a prayer today with the church so that I can reflect the presence of God. All of those are all part of the activities of beholding. See, you cannot reflect something you first have not beheld. Are you beholding the presence of God? Now it tells us, behold as in a mirror now, the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. Are you be, what are you reflecting? What are you reflecting today? Are you reflecting the glory of the Lord? Are you reflecting the glory of the world? Do you spend more time in front of the world or more time in front of the Lord? What are you reflecting? Because what you spend more time in front of, you will eventually start to reflect that. That's what you will reflect. You can reflect hard work, you can reflect resource, you can reflect money, or you can reflect the flesh, or you can reflect the glory of the Lord. That only happens by the Word of God. You can tell when persons are reflecting the glory of the Lord when they're spending time with the Lord. You spend time with the Lord, it says. Now it says, when we reflect, we're also being, this is our third word, transformed. Behold, reflect, transformed into the same image. From glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You are now transformed by the Holy Spirit as you are beholding the glory of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That you reflect to reproduce the character of God? When you're looking and studying the Bible, when you're praying, when you're going into worship, you're doing it to reflect and reproduce the glory and the character of God. And then it starts to transform you into that same image. Not only you are a reflection, you become transformed into the image of God. Now you would ask yourself, well, I thought I was already created in the image of God. You were. But your sin separates you from that image. Therefore, you have to go back to prayer, back to worship, back to the Word of God, because we're in a fallen nature, so that we can reflect the glory of God. And I love how it says, from glory to glory. It's a continual process. It's a continual progress. It's not from backsliding glory to backsliding glory, that we think, well, I'm just backsliding glory to backsliding glory. No, it's not that. It's from glory to glory. Reflecting the glory, and think about this. Reflecting the glory in the image. The image, the same image. The image. You know why image is so important? Because everybody wants an image today. 
through social media, everyone's trying to get an image. Through the culture, everyone wants an image. Build an image for themselves instead of becoming the image of the one that created us, the image of God. More interested in having my image, my personal image, than reflecting the image of God. He's saying, I want you to be transformed into the same image. Because sin takes away that image. It's a continual progress now. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Just as by the, by the Spirit of God that is working in you, in the presence of God. This is the key right here as we finish off. That being transformed only happens in the presence of God. You want to be transformed. You want something new. But that only happens in the presence of God. The New Living Translation says, So that we all have that veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of God. We can see it. We can reflect the glory of God. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him. And we are changed into His glorious image. The more you behold the more that you are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. I want to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, you might say today. Well, you need to be spending time beholding now, beholding now the presence of God. Because if there is no light reflecting from you, if there is no light reflecting from your life right now, there's no light reflecting from you, it's probably because you're not looking at Him long enough. It's probably because you're not looking at Him long enough. So there's no reflection. You have to spend time beholding. You can't just look at them really quick and say, well, I'm the image of God. I'm reflecting the glory of God today. There's no shortcuts to holiness. There are no shortcuts to holiness. We must behold because nothing changes you more like the presence of God. You simply think that person will never change. I'll never change. My marriage will never change. My family will never change. We'll always be like this. How can we change? The best type of enduring change, change that lasts. I'm not talking about a change of two weeks and then you don't, the person fell off. I'm talking about enduring change that comes into our life is where we're transformed by spending time with the Lord. Here we go, here. Here it is, spending time beholding. Every time you open your mouth, Lord, I want to behold your glory. I want more of you, Lord. I want to reflect the image of God. And that's how you know that someone's really spending time with the Lord. Are you being transformed? Well, I'm spending time with the Lord, but I'm not being transformed. I'll tell you, you're not spending time with the Lord then. <laughs> I want my husband, my wife to, you know, you would think, I, for ladies, I want my husband to be transformed. I want I, myself to be transformed. You would think of yourself, man, you know when you want to see a transformation? You, want, you know when you really know someone is spending time with God? You know, they, don't have, they don't have to tell you. Are they being transformed? Are they being transformed? That's when you know someone's spending time with the Lord. It's very evident when we're not spending time with the Lord because we're not reflecting the presence of God. What is the goal here in the New Covenant? What was the goal for the New Covenant? It's so that you can have a clear view of Jesus. You can have a clear view of Jesus. And when you have a clear view of Jesus and you're beholding a clear view of Jesus, your life will never be the same. Your life will never be the same. And that will be the answer to every battle and every pressure that new covenant. I have a clear view of Jesus. I'm going through this pressure in life right now, but I have a clear view of Jesus. I'm going through this battle right now with my family, but I have a clear view of Jesus. I'm going through depression and anxiety, but I have a clear view of Jesus right now. And nothing separates me from the presence of God. And I am being transformed in the process because I'm beholding, 
I'm reflecting and He's transforming my character through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You, God. We thank You because Your Word gives us all access to Your presence. We ask right now, Lord, that we would behold. That we would behold Your presence. That we would spend time with You, Lord. There's so many times, Lord, that we expect, Lord, to be transformed. But we haven't, Lord, ourselves spent time beholding. To clearly and carefully learn. Learning carefully, studying, God. So then we can, as a mirror, reflect. That we can reflect, we can behold so that we can reflect. And that reflection starts to transform us more into your image. And this all wouldn't be possible if you had not gone to the cross. This all wouldn't have not been possible if you had not come, Lord, to forgive us of our sins. We ask, Lord, that you would give us a hunger for the things of you, Lord. That we would not be hungry and thirsty more for anything else than we are for you. That we would not be more committed to something else than we are committed to your presence. See, the church doesn't know what it's like to be in the presence of God any longer. It's too hard to know the presence of God when you're always in a rush. Lord, it slow us down, God. Slow us down. We want to spend time in your presence. We want to behold. We want to reflect. Lord, we want to be transformed into your image.